and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello and welcome back to another podcast with Corny and Lynn Lawyers. My name is James and I'm a director at Corny and Lynn Lawyers and I'm here with Kathleen Stonehouse. Hi James, how are you going? Well Kathleen and Kathleen you're a senior associate at Corny and Lynn, aren't you? I am. Yes and uh, what do you do at Corny and Lynn? Well James, my primary practice areas are in wills and estates so planning and administering and um, even contesting estates Uh, but I also do a lot of practice in uh, not-for-profit and charity as well. Yeah well we're coming up to Christmas so I probably don't want to bother you with talking about wills and estates. Let's 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 try and talk a little bit today about um, what you do in the not-for-profit space. Absolutely. Yeah so um, Kathleen, why don't you, um, we talked a little bit today about some of the things that uh, you do in that space. Um, yeah. I know you uh, do quite a bit with helping churches uh, structure themselves and find the right fit for them. Um, and just maybe you could start off by telling me um, a little bit about what a day looks like in terms of uh, e- uh, in terms of just setting up a church or working with churches and, and some of the things you do there in terms of structuring? Sure. So I would have a range of different clients. Some people come, so the governors or leaders of existing churches, and they're needing advice around whether their current structure is correct or the best suited to um, the operations that they carry out. Um, and then other clients come and they're wanting to establish a, a church from the outset. So it may be a new uh, church or a church plant. And so genera- generally that would involve uh, looking at the size and the people that are involved in uh, running the operations of the church and then also looking at what property um the church owns or the leaders of the church own and how that's best managed and protected and looking at the governing rules so reviewing constitutions and making sure that they comply with the various um, government requirements yeah well that's really good Kathleen and I say it's really good because um, the other day I took a call from a friend of mine um, and he told me or she told me not going to reveal anything about that, but uh, my friend told me that uh, well, they've they've just run into this issue um, at their church. Mm-hmm. Um, someone had just uh, decided they were going to hold a little bit of a fellowship at around three p.m., and all of a sudden, it's grown to a, a congregation of seventy people, and all sorts of collections had been taken <laughs> and. And uh, nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> nobody knows if there's a constitution. It was just a friendly gathering of people that all of a sudden has just yeah. exploded into something. And he was just going, uh, so 
what do we do? Is this a church? (laughs) 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 Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. 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 Well, look, it's... um, it doesn't always look the same. So we have various um, clients that have different types of structures and, you know, from your unincorporated associations, uh, which can be registered as basic religious charities because they they do operate primarily or solely for the purpose of advancing religion. And then we have, um, you know, the more sophisticated or, um, I guess, high net worth uh, churches that are generally companies limited by guarantee and there's a lot more requirements in terms of compliance and mm. what sorts of policies they need to have in place and yeah so sounds like your friend probably operating an unincorporated association he wasn't operating anything. <laughs> he just walked in on it <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah. um, but I've, so tell me a little bit about you know what you mentioned um, basic religious charities and an incorporated association before. What's the difference between that um, and a company limited by guarantee? Sure. Well, um, as I said, the unincorporated association is a more basic structure. Um, it's really a, any group of people gathered together for a common purpose. Um, and if it's a church, then they're operating for the advancement of religion and they're generally entitled as long as they meet other criteria under the ACNC legislation to be registered as a basic religious charity. So that means that they're entitled to be recognised as a charity uh, but they're not required to comply with the usual governance standards. Mm. There's five governance standards for uh, charities in Australia. Okay, could you tell me that? In your view, the churches face a lot of liability issues these days. Look, yes, James. Um, it could be anywhere from uh, you know conducting a youth activity if someone's injured and there's not sufficient insurance on the property, um, to the risks associated with uh, you know child protection if you're not having uh, the right people uh, involved in children's ministry, and of course with the royal commission. Um, there's been an overturning of the onus to prove that you're taking steps that are required to protect vulnerable individuals. So, um, yeah, it's something to look out for and and to get proper legal advice about. So in terms of governance and setting it up, um, I know know that there would be listeners out there um, to our podcast who are keen on you know, figuring out how to best manage their church or how to set um, a bit of a structure up in place so that you know, the people can be protected um, in terms of the leadership, um, um, in, in terms of um, uh, ownership of property or, um, or, or, the, uh, or the liability that arises from that, um, that, that people can, that there can be a system in place. Um, what are some tips that you might uh, give to someone who's looking to set up their own church, um, like me in the basement? Uh, <laughs> what what, uh, what are some things that you would say um, just to look out for and think about when you're considering what best structure to set it up with as? Look, I would start by saying uh, you need to know who the people are that are with you 
in the um, establishment of the church or the operation of the church? Who are the people that are going to put their hand up to be the management committee or the board? Um, and then to talk to those people about what sort of um, commitment they're able to make, what abilities or special, I guess, uh, knowledge or skill sets that they can bring to that. So you, you're looking at getting people across the board, you know, with business skills or legal skills if possible, accounting skills, that sort of thing. So you've got this um, skill set that can be brought to the fore and in the governance of the organisation. Um, obviously you're wanting the spiritual leaders of the church as well um, to be equipped in their um, their knowledge of the word of God and um, that's something that often clients you know will be all across and if you're associated with a particular denomination then you'd have accreditation with that denomination um, but looking at yet yeah, where your insurances will come from and whether there's uh, policies from your denomination that you can take advantage of and, and utilise. So there's a lot of work already done that can be uh, of great help to new churches starting out. Um, but if you aren't associating with a recognised denomination um, and you're not sure exactly where to start, then it's best to see a lawyer and make sure that um, you've got all your policies and, and required documentation in place probably good to do that even if you are with a recognised denomination. <laughs> I really liked what you said Kat about um, finding the right people to walk alongside you in this uh, journey of setting up a church. Mm. Um, um, certainly uh, where I work at Cornelian I see a lot of disputes um, and are probably more on the flip side where uh, people maybe don't have the right mix at the board table and as a result the church misses out on um, something that that um, exposes the church to a significant legal risk or liability. Mm. Or, on the other hand, they um, got onto the board with probably the wrong person, you know, maybe not doing the right background checks, and and then it, um, it gets really messy for the church where uh, there are all sorts of issues within the leadership team and conflict. Mm. Um, you know, what, are, what are some of the things that uh, you would say to um, someone looking to set up um, the, uh, a bit of a board table or a bit of a board of directors or a bit of a management committee as to what are some things to look out for when, you, when you're trying to get the right mix of people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, look, I think it's really good to consider the ACNC governance standards, even if you are looking at setting up an unincorporated association that's not required to demonstrate how it complies, uh, it's still a really prudent approach to understand the governance standards and um, be able to apply them. So, and one of those is the suitability of uh, responsible persons, who would be the management committee um, or the board. And, and really uh, there's some obvious red flags, like if they've been disqualified by ASIC or the ACNC. <laughs> Should be running a change. <laughs> Or if they're an undischarged bankrupt, um, yeah, or if they're unable to get a blue card for some reason. Um, but on the plus side, you'd be looking for people that um, can read and understand policy documents and um, constitutions and understand uh, the heart of the organisation, the, the charitable purpose, because that's the core thing, that you're always working and applying in common assets for the uh, charitable purpose of advancing religion. Mm. 
to. Um, the other thing to say is you can be careful about who you allow into control of the organisation, um, particularly with a company limited by guarantee, you can be careful about membership criteria and that sort of thing can be set out in the constitution right at the outset so that if um, a member or a director fails to continue to comply with that criteria, mm -hmm. there is an avenue for seeking their removal mm -hmm. later down the track. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's easier to deal with that sort of thing if it's thought of ahead of time and put in the constitution. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly I've seen um, constitutions that probably were created by people who didn't really know uh, what a constitution is. Mm. They pulled off the internet or something and when the dispute arises, uh, it's it's just a document that's impossible to rely upon, mm. um, no longer fit for purpose and um, the people who are seeking to apply just have no leg to stand on in trying to resolve um, a messy membership or a dispute amongst the leadership. Mm. Um, Let's, let's talk a little bit about the ACNC and registration of the ACNC. So you mentioned that there's um, uh, a whole bunch of um, governance standards which would apply to a charity that's not a basic religious charity. Um, but why, if I'm setting up my church in my basement anyway, why should I even bother getting registered with the ACNC? <laughs> well, James, if you're holding yourselves out as being a church, um, for the advancement of religion and you're actually operating as a whole for that purpose um, then I guess there would be some tithing or offerings that would be um, exchanged in that process or at least handed over to the controllers for the purposes of the church and um, that's commonly undertaken in, in churches and um, that would be income of the association, whether it's unincorporated, incorporated, or if it's a company limited by guarantee. And um, if you're entitled to be registered as a charity with the ACNC, but you're not registered, uh, then you would be an income tax payer. So you'd be liable to pay income tax on that income that you're receiving. Um, you're also just, I guess, not being upfront and above board about um, who you are and as an organisation and, and what you're operating. So there's a benefit of transparency when you're registered with the ACNC, accountability, um, but also the benefit of the tax exemptions. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for um, what would you say to, say, you know, a church leader that's um, trying to help out uh, a bit of a new congregation that, to get off it, uh, to get on its feet. I know a lot of, um, say, organisations with uh, uh, a management committee who have English as a second language, or, um, or you know, for example, a refugee congregation. They really struggle to get across um, a lot of these. Um, hurdles and red tape. Mm. Um, what are some of the things that you know, say a third party who's trying to assist them get on the right track? Or what are some of the things that they can look into to assist uh, this up and coming congregation of people who just simply struggle with um, the concept of a constitution or mm. <laughs> things of that nature? Well, it 
I guess some inquiry could be made as to whether they could come under the auspices of another organisation that's already complying and that understands the requirements um, of complying. Um, It sounds like a new fledgling organisation like that would probably be unincorporated um, and wouldn't have as much to comply with. Um, Basic religious charities also aren't required to um, submit financial statements with their annual information statements. So um, there's, I guess, a further cut down of um, obligations to comply with there. Um, But for someone assisting an organisation like that, I think it's about looking um, to resource that that organisation with um, assistance from, yeah, as I said, other organisations that are already complying and um, to the extent that they're able, perhaps seeking legal advice. Mm-hmm. It definitely sounds like that organisation should get registered with the ACNC and mm. uh, um, at least be above board with its tax obligations. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, what about property ownership, Kat? Um, I know a lot of churches, um, uh, a big part of getting their um, structures looked at or adjusted is um, uh, is to better manage uh, the way property is owned. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, churches have traditionally owned property and some of the ways that they're being owned now? Yeah, absolutely. Look, churches um, that are unincorporated can't hold property in their own name. It's one of the things that an unincorporated association can't do. Um, But historically, the property used by unincorporated associations would be held in a trust or in the name of um, management committee leaders. Um, Obviously, that's not ideal because um, when those leaders are succeeded by other leaders. Mm. There's issues with um, transferring the property and um, just ensuring that it continues to be held for the purposes of the church Mm. or the unincorporated association. Mm. Um, But in the case of an independent trustee that holds the property, um, then it can continue. So trusts uh, that are charitable can exist um, indefinitely. So um, there's nothing wrong with a trust structure for an unincorporated association, mm-hmm. um, but the trust itself would be a charity, so it needs to understand and comply with the ACNC governance standards um, because it's holding property there for the charitable purposes of the church. And these days, with companies limited by guarantee, which is the most common form of uh, new churches mm-hmm. that we see established, um, companies can hold and own property in its own right or in their own right. So um, there's it, it's a much more simple way of holding and managing property for the church. So there's just, um, if the company operates the church and holds the property, there's just one set of books, um, one set of reporting, mm. one ABN usually. Um, there's no further complications than that. Uh, obviously in the case of a trust there needs to be two sets of books usually two abns mm. and two sets of um, records and reporting so yeah, and i recall um back in my days of doing conveyancing uh, when i was a law clerk with you cat uh, one of one of my most difficult conveyances was trying to help um a church secure its borrowing 
for mm. the purposes of buying a church building, mm. and the banks just struggle to get around that whole uh, charitable trust structure. Mm. Absolutely, um, it's just something that did not make sense to them when the the owner was not um, the church itself, but rather some other trustee in mm. um, who knows where mm. um, that's going to be owning the property, and somehow that but somehow would not be paying the bills for the mortgage. Mm. was something that really puzzled them and, and, mm. and caused a lot of grief in trying to get um, the church building purchased to settlement. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we've been able to assist unincorporated churches that have property and trust in some circumstances um, by providing like a limited letter of guarantee and for the bank to show where the money is coming from and how it can be secured. Um, but you're right, it's definitely a structure that's not as easily recognised and a bank is certainly more happy to deal with a company. They understand the structure <laughs> and um, they understand um, if the bank account is in the name of the company and the company owns the property, then there's usually far less questions asked. So, um, yeah. Oh, thanks, Kat. Well, Kat, I just have one more question that, uh, um, that I'm just going to ask. And it's completely not related to any, well, it is somewhat related to, to what you do, but not related to the actual work that you do. We're coming up to Christmas, it's going to be Christmas time, and um, maybe you could just, uh, just as the question I have to ask is, uh, why do you do what you do, Kat? Um, you know, all this charitable trust stuff, and uh, it all sounds really complex, really difficult, um, but why is it you do what you do? <laughs> Thanks, James. It's actually a joy for me to see um, the lights sort of come on for charities and organisations when something can be explained in a way that makes sense to them where they haven't understood it previously. Um, it's something that, you know, there, there's a lot of government requirements and there's a lot of um, various um, obligations that need to be complied with, but there is a path that can be followed and it, it doesn't have to be onerous or overly complicated. So um, to be able to streamline that process and maybe just take out some of the um, steps for, you know, for organisations that have a high volunteer base and they don't necessarily have the, you know, the time in the day to commit to completing all the paperwork and the organisational uh, work that's necessary. It's it just... Um, does bring me joy to see these organisations commenced and started off on the right foot or um, if they've already been operating to see them, um, I guess, get refit in proper, in a, to be made fit for purpose and, and to have a revised structure that is more easily understood and, and can be, um, I guess, a groundwork for the church to expand and, and to grow and um, continue its ministry in, in various ways. Um, another area that we get to advise in regularly is external conduct standards and I'm, I'm aware Nina's done a podcast about that recently. Yes, she has. And um, yeah, so it's just helping people understand those requirements so that they're not hindered in the ministries that they're called to and the, the things that God has ordained for them to do. Um, we really, you know, we are grateful that we can take part in this way and facilitate people doing what they do 
and that's why I do what I do. Thanks for that, Kat. Well, thank you for everyone who's listening. It's about all the time we have, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 0732520011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.